Okay, so welcome back. And today we're going to possibly conclude the uh, classes on No Solar, Astral City, our home. Uh, today I want to give a couple of comments on Karma Yoga and some comments from a client who's a friend who wrote about uh, our presentation of No Solar and share her perspectives on the nature of the administrative um, structuring, highly structured life of No Solar as related to the needs of uh, the souls there um, as related to 3D soul evolution from a perspective of a 60 wanderer or, or someone who knows herself to be a wanderer from a very different uh, home. So, <clears throat> first of all, I want to bring a link, a couple of links. One is from Vedanta.org, the uh, Vedanta Society of Southern California. And actually, <clears throat> some of the architecture of some of the towns in Southern California that were started in the early 20th century look very much like the architecture of No Solar, actually, in terms of the um, park with the uh, pavilion, certain pavilions there are kind of um, old-fashioned, like Art Deco even style. Um, I've been watching a lot of 1930s movies. And some of the architecture in the parks of the 1930s looks just like No Solar, which is interesting. So this link from Vedanta Society of Southern California <clears throat> uh, talks about Karma Yoga. And I just want to read the first couple of paragraphs and then pull it into talking about the about No Solar. And then Brent will join. Brent will be you know give some comments on <clears throat> on these comments um, after I run through the first these this discussion of karma yoga and the client's uh, observations. So karma yoga is the yoga of action or work, right? Karma means action or cause or work. <clears throat> the yoga of karma, the yoga associated with making karma, the, it, particularly the yoga associated with making good karma instead of bad karma. Karma yoga is the yoga of action or work. Specifically, karma yoga is the path of dedicated work renouncing results of our actions as spiritual offering rather than hoarding the results for ourselves. So uh, action or work, work action as service, serves to other rather than self-serving. And sh it goes on, as we mentioned earlier, karma is both action and the result of action. And so karma is a word, that, a Sanskrit word that has many meanings actually, but certainly action and work and deed and doing and cause. What we experience today is the, is the result of our karma, both good and bad, created by our previous actions. The chain of cause and effect that we ourselves have created can be snapped by karma yoga, maybe not quite snapped, but <laughs> modified. Fighting fire with fire, we use the sword of karma yoga to stop the chain reaction of cause and effect. <clears throat> Again, this is their understanding, which is not completely in harmony with mine, but I would say that karma yoga surely is a um, modification of the karmic stream by by adding, you know, by, by um, learning and practicing um, non-selfish action, non action, action that's not uh, self-serving. 
or action with love, wisdom, or kindness, honesty, uh, for the benefit of all, service to all, right? The path of service to other. And so, uh, karma yoga uh, changes the karmic flow, and eventually it could lead one to freedom from rebirth, yeah, sure, or snap, stop the chain reaction of cause and effect, um, but that doesn't, <laughs> it's a lot higher than these people understand. So the meaning there's a lot more reincarnation to be done before one leaves the octave. And then there's this uh, down, dirty human view. By disengaging ego from the work process, by offering results up to a higher power, whether a personal God or a self within, uh, or <laughs> simply um, appreciating the benefit of, of service to all, we stop the whole snowballing process right after um, two more billion years. So you see, even spiritualists, Vedanta is a very comprehensive um, metaphysics, has a very limited view. So the raw material is to um, East-West spirituality as no solar is to conventional religion. Or no solar is to modern society, atheism, materialism, religion, dogmatic religion, as meaning a step above, a step up in view, as the raw material, I'd say, is to uh, uh, established spiritualist traditions, like Vedanta, at least Western Vedanta. Um, what, the, what the, you know, the, the, the guys that, that stay over in the home country, they know a whole lot more than what their students, students, students uh, write in English generally. And so I wouldn't measure uh, the heights of the, Ved the Vedanta path or Advaita Vedanta or, you know, any Buddhist tradition as well by Western proponents. The Western proponents are those who have the Dharma and the Karma and the obligation to come here and do it, while the greater of the teachers generally stay home and um, don't write in English. But anyway, it goes on, whether we realize it or not, all of us perform actions all the time, yeah, since even thinking and sitting is action, right? So in Buddhism, it's thought, word, and deed. Since action is inevitable, an integral part of being alive, we need to reorient it to a path of God-realization or um, continued soul evolution. And so <clears throat> this is... Um, um, goes on with something from Bhagavad Gita and I don't want to read the whole thing here um, in fact well further down there's a one of the later paragraphs says the point of all the yogas and the next thing I want to read is a section a, a write-up of karma yoga briefly from Wikipedia here's the link this paragraph the point of all the yogas is to spiritualize our entire life instead of compartmentalizing our days into secular and spiritual zones. Karma yoga is particularly effective at this since it won't allow us to use activity as an escape. By insisting that life itself can be holy, <laughs> what else? Karma yoga gives us the tools of everyday life to cut our way to freedom. A lot of cutting here. So, this is just the, <laughs> the basis of the writer. Um, to quote again Bhagavad Gita, thus you will free yourself from both the good and the evil effects of your actions, right? Freedom from 
all karmic bondage, including good karma, which you know only finish only ends with the uh, departure out of the octave, as far as I can tell. Offer up everything to me, meaning this was maybe Krishna talking to Arjuna. If your heart is united with me or Godhead, you will be set free from karma even in this life and come to me at the last. And you know, the more I read um, this kind of stuff the more I see how um, most people underestimate the path. I mean, Roth said that they're two billion years older than humanity. Um, and from Nosalar, we get a very sobering view that, that the path is, is um, eternal, ceaseless work. Now, in higher dimensions, they're not necessarily trying to get work credit merit hours, work hours credit merit, but um, that's the way of evolution, whether, whether it's run by an administrative um, city or not, that we continue meeting challenges and doing our best to develop greater, you know, greater open heart, greater awareness in love, wisdom, balance, <clears throat> so that we can go on to the next level or continue. And... <clears throat> Uh, the idea that you're going to finish anything in one lifetime is laughable, and it's a and it's just a big folly. It's a big overestimation by lots of people who don't, who probably don't even have satipana, actually, <clears throat> because uh, the path really, unless you're going to do intensive practice, uh, we're in for hundreds and hundreds of lifetimes. It seems to me. How many lifetimes? Does it take how many lifetimes are experienced between third and sixth density, right? If it's two billion years or so, how many how many lifetimes? Well, in higher dimensions, it's all different, but the timing. But we can say hundreds <laughs> or thousands, and so it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And so, to be to to be promised, you'll be set free from karma even in this life. <clears throat> is basically uh, uh, indic indic hyperbole. Indic hyperbole means uh, hyperbole or exaggeration from the Indian psyche, and yet you know some Buddhists fall into that too. But the point is that from the 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 ancient Vedic tradition of India, there are multiple paths um, to liberation to moksha. So down on the bottom of the page here, you see path of love, meditation, knowledge. So that's called bhakti yoga, or um, raja yoga, or yana yoga, right? Bhakti meaning devotion or love, maga or yana, path or way. Meditation as uh, dhyana, but um, also called raja yoga or raja maga. Raja meaning king, meaning the kingly way. <clears throat> Why? Because it doesn't create good karma or bad karma. It's a path to freedom from karma uh, by the non-performance of karma. Because when you're sitting in meditation, mindfulness, and that's, that's, the, that's the little gem that Gautama presented um, that took Hindu practice an, a further step, I'd say. Now, there may be Hindu practices that understand mindfulness, uh, sati, um, as non-grasping attentiveness, uh, but it seems that uh, there are not too many Hindus doing that. And mm, path of meditation, Raja Yoga, 
um, as the kingly Raja, right, the king Raja, uh, is derived, I think, from the understanding that at best mm, meditation practice as the central portion of path um, is beyond, is a taste of the fruit <clears throat> as the path to the fruit. The, the path involves increasing appreciation for the goal, being non-grasping, unbound awareness, non, <clears throat> um, non-intentionality, or trans, tra- uh, freedom from desire, trans-intentionality, beyond intention. The only intention is to hold attention steady, so the only a- intention is to hold attention or directed mind attentiveness to, you know, certain object of concentration, like the breath coming and going. That's a very boring and very unsatisfying practice if the mind is used to grasping. Now, of course, many wonderful things come from that, but um, it's different than any type of meditation that's seeking to visualize or move energy or transmit in any way. It's not magical. It's not occultic, occult type ritualistic. It's basically a training of attention to to increasingly appreciate non-grasping. <clears throat> That's very subtle, and I'm not sure. I, I I'm sure that great Hindu Vedanta Advaita Vedanta teachers know that, but it's not very commonly spoken. While in Buddhism. Uh, the importance of mindfulness or sati. It's not exactly, in fact, the word mindfulness is questionable too. But it being called attentiveness or non-grasping awareness, uh, it's critical to Buddhist practice. And then there's the path of knowledge or yana yoga, like yani as a knower, like gnosis. (laughs) It comes from the Greek or the Greek word gnosis is related to the Sanskrit word yana, for sure. So, then <clears throat> we look at uh, karma yoga from, in fact, it looks like I've sent the same link here. Um, let me try sending the other link. There we go. That is Wikipedia on karma yoga <clears throat> and how we're doing? Okay, 15 minutes in. I'm trying. This is high density talk. Karma Yoga <clears throat> from Wikipedia, also called Karma Maga. So, Maga, Marga, Marga, Maga, Yoga, uh, Yana. These are all different words for way or path. <clears throat> so, Karma Yoga, one of the four spiritual paths in Hinduism based on yoga of action, right work done well as a form of prayer, we can understand that. That's spoken directly in Nosolar, a certain point, like this is a sacred duty, <clears throat> uh, which includes uh, cleaning up the vomit in the chambers of rectification, or chambers of regeneration. And uh, that's a great uh, challenge. <laughs> that's a great, to be free, I mean, many, many Buddhist teachers um, were very rough on their students, like Marpa and Milarepa, 
uh, Milarepa was forced into uh, karma yoga practice of building and then knocking down um, stupas or um, certain towers for his teacher Marpa as a training practice of non-attachment and um, selfless effort, selfless work and obedience to the teacher or guru. And yes, of course, that's um, exploitable, <clears throat> but uh, this is what they're teaching in No Solar, is Karma Yoga. And they're not doing so much teaching meditation, Raja Yoga, or Yana Yoga, Path of Knowledge, or Bhakti, Path of Loving Devotion to Personal God. <clears throat> uh, people have some devotion to Jesus. Uh, people feel some love of God. People would feel some love for the governor of No Solar. But it's not really being encouraged as um, their practice path. Uh, but um, for 3D souls, then, and that's one of the primary takeaways from reading Nosalar, is uh, we're talking about 3D souls. <clears throat> These are not wanderers. And maybe Dr. Luis's mother is or was. We're talking about how the guides of humanity um, understand the structuring of a, uh, of a of an environment <clears throat> in which there is no veil yet the souls have very strong uh, attachment to self self-interest material materiality sensuality family emotionality, aggrandizement, self-aggrandizement, <clears throat> and they're just not that far from the lower zones. And we may be able to, f we may fall into lower zone patterns of mind sometimes, strong anger, strong fear, strong um, self-centeredness, um, addiction, uh, self-harming, you know, wanderers are susceptible to anything, for sure. And there are lots of spiritually minded people who are not wanderers here, too. But um, Nosolar is a, is a home on the astral plane for a very particular band of evolution, or a, a spectrum of consciousness evolution of souls in third density. Uh, who don't really have this view that <clears throat> um, life ought to be spiritualized or that life is a spiritual endeavor, journey, developmental process. Uh, they're not... The, the whole notion of an afterlife and a path of development is new to them as it's um, pretty much not well appreciated by most people on earth, even though they have all these religions, <clears throat> which are really, um, have been very, uh, they've all been co-opted, but um, as an elementary teaching, all these religions are not too bad, <laughs> you know, they're not too bad. Uh, there is teaching of, I mean, what? Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, I mean, <clears throat> they all have some moral teaching, right? It's just that, that people don't care about the moral teaching. And the leadership, uh, back to the fireworks. Um, 
Um, humans, the earth, earth humans, um, they're attached to animality. They're attached to to animalis, animalism. They they they're sort of like monkeys in suits sometimes, meaning they have that there's very coarse instincts. As the explosions continue around me, there 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 many people have many coarse instincts. Coarse meaning crude, salivating, salivational, and uh, not salvational, salivational. And it's a hard thing, you know. There are a lot of souls here who've been repeating 3D for many, many li lifetimes. Uh, and I guess the idea from, from the, you know, those in between the Council of Saturn and Earth Humanity, those who who provided the guidance on the structuring of the establishment of Astral City um, uh, have seen fit to teach them Karma Yoga because they can't, because they're not ready for any other type, generally. Um, and that's probably the case. <laughs> and so everybody's working here to live or working for money and it's work that most people you that that most people tangle themselves up when people are uh, attached to greed and self-centeredness it's generally manifest through their work it they their work supports um these um tendencies and the tendencies are developed through their work because the work is the means by the means to self-enrichment or self-aggrandizement which then further binds people by which people further bind themselves to um, self-centeredness and materiality and sensuality and um, crude in crudity in mind a crude mind a coarse mind to the extent that work is about me getting more so me show you I'm better you I'm better than you because me got more than you there's a you know there really are a lot of people thinking that way and uh, unfortunately, these religions have been sort of eclipsed um, by <laughs> negative entities that uh, the Confederation has no small part in having uh, fostered under the agreement of the Council of Saturn, uh, under the watchful eye of the Logos. So there's a lot to process there. And so <clears throat> if you want to read more about Karma Yoga, uh, look at this page. I'm not going to actually go on more. What I want to read quickly is some comment from a client of mine, and, and I know. Well, let me, let's just take a break and let Brent jump in, because I've been talking about 30 minutes here, or 23. So, Brent, you want to jump in? Anything you want to say about karma yoga and uh, human animality or um, uh, anything that I just said? Any comments? Sure. Uh, let me get my hair down my wall. Here. I think that's a little bit blasting. Um, I, I definitely agree with you, and I think karma yoga um, is a very good example and a very excellent perspective of what what goes on in astral city, and it's training that's needed on that particular in that particular astral city. Um, I say that because we we have to keep in mind there isn't just one. Um, that one happened to be over um, a major city in South America. I don't remember if it was Rio de Janeiro or if it was Sao Paulo, but um, one of the major cities there. But 
the point is is that apparently there are quite a few of those settlements and they probably all have different perspective and the perspective is only necessary and generated for what the individuals in that era and time need and obviously these individuals needed that structure needed that organization needed that call to work to do their um, you know, to get that focus in their existence to continue their development, to continue their upliftment. Um, also, I'll just add, um, I do agree about the, all the religions of the world being co-opted. Um, and that's really true. Um, we have to keep in mind that, uh, and I know that it's probably been said in many ways before, but as far as they go and people searching for the majority of the religions that they go after, a lot of people don't look at, they, they don't look at, um, they're only hedging their bets, basically. Basically, when people are looking for a religion, they're just basically hedging their bets. Okay, well, I do believe that maybe something else happens, and I better go do something, maybe I better go figure out what I need to do, or pray to somebody, or confess or whatever because you know who knows what happens we're all going to die you know but that's maybe as far as the conversation goes as you mentioned most people are just uh, very animalistic um somebody here wrote a song quite a long time ago about how people are men and women are just uh, monkeys with guns and money and that's basically um the point is is that the important thing to take away and is that we need a new perspective the new perspective needs to be, instead of referring the other side to the afterlife, we need to refer to it as the real life. It is the real life. This is the temporary existence here, only for lessons under the veil. And we go back to the real life that we've had in, that we've been in, existing in for how long? How many thousands of years? Can we even count it in years? I mean, if we've had hundreds or thousands of lives, can we even count it in years? Maybe we count it in... Uh, millennia, mm -hmm. or maybe even beyond that. Maybe it's timeless. Maybe we've just been around, you know, we don't know when we started. And it's hard to take up that perspective when you're living an existence, a temporary existence, under a veil of limitation. Everything around us is limitation. I mean, not only from our own existence, from birth to death, but we see everything, the changing of the seasons, the, you know, um, life and death of, um, you know, air, everything from the animal world, pe beings in the animal world to plant life to, um, you know, uh, cities that get built or cars, you know, cars that people have that they love and gee, then they get old and they rust and they disintegrate and they end up in a junkyard. There is always limitation. There's always the, an end, you know, so our concept of not having an end is really, really difficult. It's really difficult for man. And I think a good start, though, is to take up that perspective of the realization of what Andre went through, that, oh, hey, there, this, is, um, this is the real life on the other side. Um, what I just finished going through was very temporary. Um, and um, now I'm taking up, I'm, I'm learning the lessons from my life um, that I just experienced, and now I'm, I'm preparing to go on and keep going, and we keep going, and we keep going because we're eternal. We live forever. You know, we, <laughs> we're going on and we're experiencing the whole thing, and that's the beauty of it, and that's the excitement of it. Um, 
And so anyway, that's my, my perspective for right now, because I know you want to go and um, add these comments um, from the, uh, this other individual. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for that. And what you're saying, you know, talking about limits or um, the continual experience of limitation, Ra used the phrase, the illusion of limits and the uh, concept of light. So the concept of light is intelligent energy or the universe or the octave as a concept in the mind of the Logos or the infinite. And our experience of limits being illusory, uh, which is basically um, the basis of the first noble truth of Dukkha, as I talked about before in Buddhism, where uh, Dukkha is basic dissatisfactoriness or the mind's continual experience of impermanence. And so the three um, the three marks or indications of experience or existence both being anicca anatta dukkha and this will be a firecrack mm, patience time for me. <laughs> so um, anicca impermanence changeableness Everything subject, I don't know, I hope you can hear me because uh, I can't quite hear me, but everything that's subject to origination or birth is subject to cessation or death. That's, what, that's why um, exist the 31 planes, meaning the three realms, meaning the seven dimensions, uh, is called samsara, which is the ocean or a, a massive field uh, of birth and death arising and passing away. That, uh, its nature is illusory or conceptual or empty, sunya, which is anatta, or selfless, or insubstantial. Uh, from that, reality <clears throat> or experience, um, the ignorance-based experience of illusion in impermanence, uh, emptiness or insubstantiality, there's dissatisfaction. And um, most people in this world or the psychology of a 3D repeater or a soul that is trapped in 3D is clinging to materiality or emotionality or thought as a means of um, achieving, which is uh, impossible, uh, a futile attempt at achieving lasting happiness and well-being in a realm of continual change, impermanent insubstantiality, in essentially ungraspability. It's grasping at, the, at, at, at illusion, grasping at material illusion um, is the problem. <laughs> and in Nosalar, in many ways, people are being taught to grasp um, the relatively greater utility or value of selfless work. And so, uh, to, as a means of getting out of suffering, or means of finding um, true happiness and self-evolution, better than grasping at material accumulation, social position, and, and emotional control. Because that's what's going on. People's attachment to their family um, is very much associated with emotional control. I want to keep this happiness forever with you or somewhat codependent with you. 
and the materiality or sensuality is, you know, I want to uh, keep accumulating money to get more stuff so I have a higher social position so I feel better about myself and people look up to me rather than down on me. Um, as my uh, unconsciously fashioned um, response to my unconscious and unrecognized continual dukkha <clears throat> or dissatisfaction. And they're teaching a one-step-up method of finding a little bit more abiding happiness than sensual, material, social, emotional grasping. So, now with that in mind, let me read a couple of paragraphs from a client, a friend who read Nosalar, has been listening along with our episodes here. <clears throat> so she wrote, First, thanks to you and Brent for a fine piece of work. Alongside the many, many important spiritual teachings, I found that the series overall gave me a clearer picture of 3D minds and 3D experience from a metaphysical perspective. On a personal level, it has shown me that there is a vast difference between 3D and 6D mind, and this has helped me work through some issues of worthlessness arising over the past week. These mind differences form the basis of my comments. I think that Dr. Andre's story highlighted to me that 3D beings, especially at low to mid-third density, are at a developmental stage that still requires structure. They need to navigate an understanding of themselves and the world by naming, classifying, and rules. It's hard for them to conceptualize phenomena holistically and without someone defining the boundaries. Hence, they cannot deal with spirituality based on the concept of the one infinite creator, which is, as you referenced, Brent, this sort of um, <clears throat> endlessness is beyond their capacity to conceptualize. Endlessness forever. Hence, they cannot deal with spirituality or teachings based on the concept of one infinite creator or endlessness, boundlessness, uh, forever. Nor generally do they take good care of their own morality. With this, they need work to help keep them on the developmental track. I feel that 3D beings are quite like spiritual adolescents. 3D, or 3D mind and being, sees the emergence of a true sense of self, plus they have to learn how to work with others and in groups, which is a fair piece of developmental work. Really, they're still quite tribal and feel the need to belong or identify with a group which we see all, all over the place in Astral City. Hence, in the Astral City, this is manifest in the, in the desire to reconnect with their Earth family groups and, attach, and their attachment to these groups, rather than seeing the individuality of the soul evolution process, which is really how I think a lot of us conceive of it, um, that we're, we're kind of on our own. And you know, 3D being an individual harvest as opposed to 4D or 6D, 3D, 5D entities harvest to four and to six on their own. Um, that's a big piece of learning here, too, is standing alone. So rather than seeing the individuality of the soul evolution process, they have this attachment uh, or desire to reconnect with their human family group. And their strong attachment to their earth families really struck me, she writes. This spiritual adolescence I see still fosters a dependency on someone to parent for them. That is, they look for an authority figure, for rules, 
or someone else to solve their problems and make them feel better. Hence a God concept, where God will look after them, right? God the Father. Religion is another way. In relationships, the other person is looked to, is looked to make them feel better, to feel loved, or behave in ways to resolve their pain, like a parent giving a child what they want to make the child stop crying or feel better. Rather than having a relationship based on deep mutual sharing and a sort of, I would add, um, recognition of autonomy and the value of non-dependence, right? There are a lot of people in relationship, this is Scott's comment, me, um, who want to depend on the other, who want to take from the other and have a sense, uh, I'm your partner, you should be giving to me X, Y, and Z. That's just the way it is. And there isn't the there, there are many people who go into relationship wanting uh, very deliberately to take and be given to, rather than mutual giving and taking. And and that's a very big difference. And if you get involved with somebody, and their motivational basis uh, is incompatible with yours, the relationship can't work. And so she writes, <clears throat> hence a God concept where God will look after them. Religion is another way, and this is what I read before in relationships. The other person is looked to to make them feel better, feel loved, or behave in ways to resolve their pain, like a parent giving a child what they want to make the child stop crying and feel better, rather than having a relationship based on deep mutual sharing. And she writes, I'm also thinking of that woman early on in the series who just wanted to see her sons but was unwilling to do the work to enable that, and had this view of just give me what I want. And the final conclusion, final paragraph here, similarly in 3D, I feel that the sense of personal path of spiritual progress seems difficult for them, or understanding the personal, the very personal nature of the path. They need, they seem to quote, need religion to give them a sense of structure, a spiritual tribe to belong to. You've often talked about the need to quote, walk alone, after listening to this series and my own observations, I don't think 3D beings are developmentally capable of doing this. And that concludes her write-up, which I think is very useful and very deep, and thank you for that. Uh, and so <laughs> there, there's much, much that can be unpacked from those paragraphs there, uh, but um, the need... The no-so-lar is highly structured because of the need, the being's need for structure. They simply need enlightened structure rather than oppressive structure, right? They need um, love-wisdom-based uh, structuring rather than hierarchical, service-to-self, oppressive, uh, <laughs> negative, you know, Orion-based structure as we see here in space-time. And it's um, a bit sad to me as a tangential point, how few people in religions really could could give the reading of Nosolar a fair shake and really want to listen and really are ready to build this into their view of, of creation or birth and death in their life. Uh, like Brent, like you said, a lot of people are hedging their bets. They go to church partly because they want a, a community, they feel lonely, they have true spiritual longing, uh, but there is a very, um, th there, there's a, a lot of difficulty standing alone and, um, or going their own way. Uh, and yet, 
it is critical for 3D beings to harvest uh, to have a um, have appreciation for self-determination and realize that they're going to have to say no to what a lot of other people think they should um, simply submit to. You, one has to free oneself of a distorted, uh, you know, consensus beliefs to some degree to get out of 3D or to simply uh, anchor um, green ray activation with, uh, we're not talking about the primary rays development, 135, being necessary for harvest as well. And that third and fifth rays, basic, these are, these are called the primary rays, 135, the, the development of three and five particularly um, requires <clears throat> a bit of autonomy, self-determination, standing alone. Um, one cannot either hold attachment to controlling others in society, nor submitting and being trampled upon by others, neither subsumed into the group nor um, manipulating and exploiting the group is the way of, uh, is included in the requirements for harvesting to fourth density positive, as far as I can tell. And not only love, and love is really uh, pretty much about non-control, and that's um, clearing third chakra blockage. Uh, but in fifth terms of fifth chakra, primary basic development necessary for harvest to four, there is some degree of independent thought. And just like in the movie They Live, one of the uh, you know, subliminal messages that he was able to see in the magazines at the newsstand when he put on the glasses was uh, a phrase, no independent thought. And I remember that struck me quite strong. Uh, John Carpenter, the director, writer, I guess, uh, understanding very clearly that one of the means of control, um, other than beyond simply do what we say, obey, consume, procreate, sleep, 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 beyond doing those things, um, to be able to do those things, to be able to be controlled, requires some degree of um, infection in the distorted command of no independent thought. And there are a lot of people who have no independent thought or... <laughs> would be it's easier to simply go along with the group or shut it off altogether right the people who either watch the mainstream media and believe what they're told because it's it's less painful than realizing they're being lied to and developing independent thought versus the other people who just don't even watch the news at all and say ah oh, well you know who cares <clears throat> because they just want to listen to their music or watch the movie or be involved in emotional considerations only. Uh, so some people, though those are both third, you know, particular third chakra blockages. Um, submission to authority, uh, neglect of the social environment, uh, desire to control the group, uh, all of these distorted uh, uh, manifestations of third chakra blockage uh, have got to get worked out before beings can be harvestable to four, 4D positive. And so 
like she said, this is like a spiritual adolescence. And so, um, I think that Daffrey John, um, crazy man that he was, um, said something about human people being like a spiritual adolescence, something like that. And I think that's absolutely true. And that's what happens if you don't um, seek independent thought. Independent thought means free thinking, means think for yourself. There are a lot of people who can't or don't want to uh, think for themselves. And that's and then, you know, you either get tyranny or, um, you know, you generally, in th <laughs> here you get tyranny. If you, in 3D space-time, if one has the karmic stream associated with rejection of independent thought, one ends up uh, attracting um, negative leadership. Uh, if that person is sufficiently moral, they go to Nalsolar. And then they have enlightened, relatively enlightened leadership, uh, which seeks their own betterment, their own happiness, long-term welfare and benefit, um, but in a highly structured way, taking into account the distortions or attachments of mid-third density consciousness. Mid-third density consciousness. No solar is a place, an unveiled realm for the evolution of non, uh, the evolution of mid-third density consciousness that has some moral appreciation, that has some resonance with, with green-blue. So uh, there's so much more we can go on. I think we just, you know, just scratch the surface with all this. Any comments on that, Brent, before we go to any questions, which we don't have? But, um, Brent, anything you'd like to ask? Sure. And, and, and sure. anybody in the group who has a question, if you can write your question quickly, <laughs> this, is, this is it now. Brent? Sure. Um, let's see. I think, um, interesting, it was just a, a few quick comments. Um, first of all, I'd like to say, as in regards to your uh, friend, associate that wrote those paragraphs, very, very well done. I think she did an excellent job. Uh, it was a very, I found it to be a very short, concise synopsis of what the book was trying to say. And very, very well done. I appreciate that very much. Um, and also, you know, the only thing I would add is very, very true. They are adolescent, 3D beings are adolescents, very tribal. We need to belong. Need And religion is a very, uh, it's very well put that religion is very much like a tribe, you know, where a tribe, this tribe follows this leader, that tribe uh, follows another leader. Um, the only other thing, too, is as far as you were talking about working through the adolescence and growth, uh, or adolescence to growth uh, into harvest and fourth density, um, it should be pointed out, independent thought and independence requires responsibility. And that's what they're attempting to teach and also learn uh, in Nasolar. Um, through that structure, through the positive structure, um, they're trying to teach those adolescent beings individual responsibility to generate independent thought from the lessons that they've learned. Um, so there you go. That's it. You have to be responsible. And you can see it every day here. People around it, you know, everybody wants to have a religion. Everyone wants to hedge their bets. Everybody wants to, 
you know, be on the good side and go to heaven or whatever. But nobody wants to take responsibility for their actions. Very, very few people. They don't. They want the minister to be responsible. They want somebody else to save them from, you know, themselves, to save them, you know, to go to confession and be absolved, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those types of things, um, you know, you have to get past that. You have to take on your own responsibility for your own life and existence and path. And that's it. And that's all i got to say right now because I know we've, we, you'd like to go on a few of these questions. And um, if there are any questions, are there any questions? <laughs> no, not for oh, today. Okay. What, one one thing. Wait. Typing I here's a, oh, wait. Here's one a question. Qu go ahead. Take it. Take it there, Scott, if you want it. Go ahead. Okay. Um, and also just... just what I think we might do is um, we'll wrap up the formal um, presentation of No Solar today, and we can still, you know, we, we can still do another 20 minutes even, but uh, I think we will wrap it up today, and then, you know, in, in subsequent weeks, if there are questions, we'll just add them on. That's okay. No problem. So the question here, what level will you put, what level do you put responsibility or level of density? Uh, that's an interesting point where that that's actually a very deep question not not so clearly put but i think the question means how do we uh correlate the principle of responsibility in the in the seven chakra system with the seven chakra analysis uh level of density a level of you know chakra consciousness level that's very deep and um so let me give my take on it and brent you can join in after uh what is responsibility, right? <laughs> well, at a deeper level, it's some understanding of causality, cause and effect. Uh, I'm acknowledging that my activity is a cause uh, that inevitably will bring an effect or a result. Uh, and so there's uh, certainly there's involvement of fifth chakra with wisdom, no doubt. I would say particularly... Um, it's four, five, six, <clears throat> or five, six, four, or five, four, six, if we're talking about the order of, of uh, precedence. The wisdom, <clears throat> it's not simply karmic law, obviously, because there are very, very responsible people who are not religious. They're very responsible people who don't have a spiritual view uh, from any metaphysical system. <clears throat> there, are, there are people who are very responsible um generally because they have the wisdom fifth chakra activation um i again i would say that it's particularly 546 they have the wisdom or understanding that um what i do has consequences all that i do or anything i do may well have consequences that's an understanding of causality whether or not there's any formal sense of karma, the law of karma and metaphysical teaching, that's wisdom. Then it's, but it's a love-based wisdom. And then there's fourth chakra involvement. And the love or acceptance is um, what, what I do, because we're here we're talking about self-responsibility. There's even a greater level of this, which is just... Um, causality, the principle of causality as responsibility. But at the personal, it's personal responsibility. 
the fourth chakra level of um, basis of uh, responsibility, I think, is um, first of all an acceptance that what I do or don't do has consequences whether I like it or not, whether I like them or not, whether I want it or not, it is. And that's an accept that's a heart acceptance of um, the impersonality of um, causality, which is the basis of responsibility. <laughs> Very philosophical there, but uh, heart chakra is not just love, it's also acceptance, unconditionally accepting what is. Uh, secondarily, there is a personal, um, personalist, the personal aspect of fourth chakra, which is caring. Uh, I care enough to accept that my activity has consequences, whether I like it or not. And therefore, I, and I care enough to um, be mindful of, to be careful of, to be aware of consequences of my activity. And I have enough sense of faith, faith in self, and that's six chakra involvement. I have enough self-esteem. <laughs> I, I uh, trust myself or appreciate my worth enough to acknowledge that what I do has consequences, whether I like it or not. Therefore, um, I want to know it because I care, and I want to be careful because I am going to be responsible. Uh, and even if I don't like it, uh, I can handle it. I can take it and accept that truth, and then the truth of the consequences, and the importance of being careful or guarding somewhat my activity, meaning my speech and my behavior, and even thought, so as not to make harm. And so, again, I'd say five, four, six, surely the involvement of those three. Um, so, yes, responsibility, Brent added, about is, is very much tied to morality, and that's a critical point. You want to say more about that, Brent? Sure. Um, yeah, it's very, very true. Realizing that, um, um, that you know, your actions, you know, how your actions affect other people as well as yourself, not only yourself and your personal growth, but how they affect other people and their growth. Um, and that becomes your moral compass as you go along in life, you know, um, as, as you go from one to another, gradually, um, you know, it builds and it builds and it builds. Um, but I would agree with your assessment as far as the chakras are concerned, too. Um, that, uh, but it's a, it's a, I think it's also, it's a very pivotal point, and it's probably a pivotal point, too, for, um, necessary for harvest, I would think, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but that's it, that's, that's pretty much, uh, my take on that. Yeah, let me, um, read from a page called Brainy Quotes, for all those brainy people out there. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi Gandhiji said morality is the basis of things and truth is the substance of all morality but not pride with that accent morality is the basis of things this is very heavy and truth is the substance of all morality now <laughs> those are some pretty big words that, that need to be uh, unpacked 
morality as the basis of things means the substance of phenomena, the nature of phenomena. Morality, this is also Vedic, he's totally coming from the Vedas here. Morality, which is um, is rooted in the capacity to acknowledge responsibility, is, is, is the basis of things, meaning the nature of phenomena. Well, phenomena is intelligent energy, which is polarized light or sentient polarized light, upward spiraling light, or uh, the love light, of yeah, expression of the logos, morality as the nature of love light is, um, I would say, a, a very profound understanding that that the nature of light is love. Things equals light or intelligent energy, seven dimensionality, seven dimensional frequencies, seven dimensions as frequencies of intelligent energy or light, its nature is love. Morality, as uh, as that nature, uh, morality is the love nature basis of light, or phenomena. I think that's what he's saying, which perfectly fits an understanding of metaphysics from Ra. Then he says, truth is the substance of all morality. What is truth? Truth is reality um, conceptualized, <laughs> because... You know, there's reality beyond conceptualization, if you hadn't noticed. And um, <laughs> this is already, we're way beyond, we're way beyond, way outside of left field here, or right field, or center field. I guess we're way out in center field here. Uh, truth, what is truth? Well, if you say truth is conceptualized reality, the substance of morality, um, the substance of morality, the nature of morality is the nature of love. And um, you can say that universal love as the basis of light is the ultimate truth of creation. That's how I'd unpack what he's saying. So morality as the basis of things, meaning the moral consciousness, um, is in line with the second principle law of love, which is the true nature of light or phenomena. And then truth, um, what truth? (laughs) Um, the capacity to resonate with reality, whether it's conceptualized or not, the capacity to be aware of reality or reality um, beyond fashioning, beyond distortion, beyond appearance, beyond illusion, beyond um, change, you know, the deathless, depends on what level of truth you're talking about, as the substance of all morality being the nature of... um, the nature of phenomena, um, I think here is, is universal love. Um, the substance of morality is the nature of morality. So the substance of morality, which is the basis of things. Eh? So it's really, I think, the identity between love and light. And light as truth, whose nature is love, whose which is the basis of all things. And so uh, the capacity to resonate with truth and love. (laughs) And that's again five and four, fifth chakra, fourth chakra, which is uh, known or synthesized in six um, as the root of morality, which is the, 
which is the heart of responsibility, I'd say, just as you're alluding to. So I think that's, that's, <laughs> that's enough brainy quote for us, or that's enough for me. And um, another question, would you say morality is the basis of polarity? Um, yes, that's also a very deep question. Um, morale, you know, what, where does polarity come from, right? Well, there's the logoic um, veiling in third density, physical, that leads to two paths, because before the veiling there wasn't, uh, even though there was an unconscious mind in the unveiled 3D space-time, um, there weren't two paths because there was no veiling, therefore beings wouldn't choose to go against truth. You see, um, <clears throat> unveiling means um, no de deception or no distortion. Or distortion, but no willful rejection of truth. Meaning there's lack of development for beings in 3D. They're not in 6 density, even though they're not veiled, like in Astral City. right? They're not veiled, but they are no greater than they've made themselves to be. They don't go automatically to Buddhas and Bodhisattvas in No Solar because they haven't made themselves such. But, and therefore, we can say that that lack of development equals distortion or makes distortion in mind. But <clears throat> um, there's the logoic um, veiling in 3D that leads to uh, attachment to distortion or attachment to wrong view or um, illusion that leads to establishment of, establishment of, of two paths rather than only uh, one path or the way. And so one basis of polarity is, is obviously the veiling. <clears throat> but morality as a basis for polarity is really the moral sense. When we say morality, we're saying about moral consciousness an awareness of morality, um, the moral sense, the sense that there is uh, right and wrong, or um, a distinction between activity, a moral distinction in activity, meaning activity can be classified in a moral framework. Now, the atheists and the skeptics will say, no, it's all relative, it's all... <clears throat> um, you know, human social artifact, uh, it's all a construct of human, you know, culture or society, and that there are no universals of morality. <clears throat> well, because they can't see the seven chakras, they think that there's no, there's no framework, no objective common framework for us all and they only see it as a single lifetime, so they're woefully deluded. Uh, but the, the moral sense, um, I would say, um, not necessarily even consciously, but some moral sensitivity, some sensitivity to a distinction in morality, uh, or that... <clears throat> It, it, it may well be a basis for beings becoming or join, going on either path. However, uh, one of the bases for going on the left-hand path is an absence of the moral sense. Meaning, the many people do service-to-self activity, but they're not on the negative path. 
there's a difference then between service to self activity and being committed to the negative path. And the people who end up in no solar are not committed to the negative path. The people who don't go there and stay in the hell realm or some other uh, Orion-mediated astral dimension <clears throat> may well be committed to the negative path, the, the path of service to self. So, to some degree, um, beings end up on one of the two paths, uh, partly by a moral sense, which is that sense of responsibility we're talking about on the positive path, but there can be a lack of any moral sense and a complete ignorance uh, of um, the consequentiality of my activity, meaning my activity has consequences on the world and I care. There can be no sense of that at all and people could be on the left-hand path. So, in a way, the default setting is animality or self, basic animal self-centeredness, which is survival instinct. You know, <clears throat> um, the, the animal instinctuality carryover from second to third density is the default setting uh, without a moral sense that leads some people to do service to self-activity, but that's not the same as commitment to the negative path. So, um, certainly a moral sense is needed for being on the positive, sen on the positive path. Uh, and I would say that, and for D-negative also, there is awareness of the fact that they've, re well, of what they've rejected. But in human 3D, there are many beings who are <clears throat> selfish and, and um, troublesome and distorted and self-serving because um, they often end up in prison, um, because they just haven't thought it out yet enough. They don't have an adequate understanding of, of um, responsibility or consequentiality. So it's all very, very subtle. Uh, Brent, any comments on that? And then I think we need to wrap up. No, I pretty much agree with where you're coming from exactly. Um, the fact that um, I, I think there's, there's, a, there's, there's either morality or a lack of morality, and the lack of morality would be more on the negative path. Um, and, uh, you know, the more moral you are, the, the more it shows your, your, your positive, your way on the positive path. So, yeah, I, I think that would be the only way that uh, I could see to, um, that, I mean, that's the only thing that I would add to what you already said. And it was well put, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, so let's, so let's do some final, just a couple of final comments and then, um, you can make some final, 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 final comments, and then we'll wrap up. The, we'll make a formal wrap up uh, of the series. Although we could take questions in another class later. Uh, you can say that um, the purpose of of the transmission of the book No Solar to uh, Francisco Xavier. Um, is to give people an alternative to the distortions and mistaken views of organized Christianity in Brazil. But it certainly applies to anyone everywhere um, or spiritualist traditions, spiritist groups in Vietnam and in other countries, France, Island Kardec, and some other countries 
uh, for people who are moving, who who are spiritually minded but uh, sensitive and aware enough to realize that religion has got uh, a lot of things wrong. Abrahamic religions, you know, Jewish people would not be interested in <laughs> in this material, or people who are committed in the Jewish faith, uh, as well as Muslim, uh, but. Um, there would be very sincere Christian people um, who don't want to throw out the best portions of the Christian teaching and morality and yet realize there's some some significant distortions there. And so what we're seeing is a teaching <clears throat> to humanity, to a certain portion of humanity that is pulling itself out of certain Western religious distortions yet appreciate morality and have a spiritual perspective on life uh, that that they still trust and they're unwilling to reject along with the uh, distortions of organized religion that they are rejecting or that they're at least expanding upon. And uh, for wanderers, it helps us I mean, it, it really does, I mean, I, I don't often talk in terms of us and them, but, but some degree of us and them seems to be naturally um, evoked by analysis of, of No Solar story uh, from, from the perspective of the raw material, <laughs> which talks freely about wanderers and higher dimensional strangers in a strange land from elsewhere down here on the ground who really are not of this collective consciousness, as um, I feel I'm not, and uh, many of us feel we're not of this collective consciousness. Um, it's So it gives us sort of a window on the, conscious, the, on the collective consciousness of Earth humanity from the higher dimensional... Um, presentation or the presentation of its higher dimensional incarnative phase the you know higher dimensional the higher dimensional phase of 3d existence is astral existence is time space and it really does show us much and and much more than we've been explored in even in 15 weeks much about their mind and their grouping, the, the mind of their groups, the consciousness of human groups, the consciousness of individuals, uh, where they fall and how they rise, how they help themselves, how they harm themselves, how they are helped, and how well they can receive the help. Uh, and in many ways, we are, um, we're sort of bystanders down here on the ground. At least I see that myself. No matter where we live, even living in the big city, the Big Apple, um, we are strangers in this strange land. And most people in the world <laughs> are unfortunately very much not that open to the teaching of the Spiritist teaching of Nozolar. And even less so to the raw material <laughs> or some kind of. Um, integrated east-west universal metaphysics like I'm offering. So this is a <laughs> distillation of distillations. Uh, nevertheless, I think it was 
very important, and I want to thank you, Brent, very much, sincerely, for helping to make this happen, because I really wouldn't have done it alone. Um, so it depends a lot on you. It, it has depended, or you are, in many ways, the basis for this uh, coming to light. So thank you very much for taking up the, the burden and taking up your cross <laughs> and, um, and leading the discussion for the last four months or so. So any final comments on anything at all, Brent? Sure. Um, I'd also like to say thank you for encouraging me to, um, to go through with it and to pursue the, um, the, um, doing this whole series on this book. Um, I appreciate that very much and I really appreciate your support and, um, your support through through your YouTube channel, doing this and getting it out to more people. I think it was uh, um, very good. It was very good for me. It was very educational for me, and uh, I grew quite a bit from it, and I appreciate your support, and uh, I appreciate the individuals out there um, who followed along and uh, read the book and had questions, made comments, um, were supportive. I really appreciate that, and... Um, the only other thing I'd reiterate is how important it is for us to, um, if we, if I take something away from the book, one of the most important things is the perspective of um, that I mentioned earlier that we're eternal beings having a physical existence, and it's important to instead of just say those words, place ourselves in that perspective, empathizing with that perspective, and realizing that it's not just you and me, but it's the everybody around us everybody we come across because we you know not only are we going to have further experiences in our lives with loved ones and family uh, as we go on um, but we're also going to have further experiences with just acquaintances some enemies uh, bullies um, people that we have any type of conflict with in our lives will we'll, we'll possibly crop back up in our existence so <laughs> You know, um, it's important to try and make peace with that now, and if not, you'll make peace with it then. But don't, but realize that it's going to come back around, and um, it's an eternal education and quest, and uh, it's a fun journey. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, and um, I was so. Anyway, yes, thank you very much, Scott, and um, thank you everybody else for joining us on this short journey. Yeah, and I want to uh, conclude the 15 weeks with a quote from a Quaker missionary named uh, Etienne de Etienne de Grayet de Mabier, uh, son to a counselor of Louis the Sixteenth, who um, joined the Religious Society of Friends. And um, uh, as I was listening to a song from Seals and Croft, um, "We May Only Pass This Way." Again, uh, we may never pass this way again. Uh, he said, I expect to pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do, or any kindness I can show to any fellow human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer nor neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. And um, that was from the late... 19th century, totally applicable today, and very deep teaching. So I want to thank everybody for being here, and um, thank those in Nosolar who are recording this, and will be studying this, 
and those here in space-time listening, contributing by your care, and Brent, and the group, and Dr. Luis, and uh, Chico Xavier, uh, and all those who helped make this happen. So thank you very much, and um, we'll see you again. Good night.